Hey everyone, I hope you're all doing well. We are continuing our series, The Big Objections, where we are looking at many of the common objections, questions, and doubts that people often have when it comes to the Christian faith. Now, last week, we looked at the objection that we really, uh, uh, we really can't know whether or not God even exists. And uh, if you remember, we said that like most things, we can know beyond a reasonable doubt that God exists for lots of different reasons, but we focus specifically on the evidence of God through the incredible design that you see in nature uh, that points to an intelligent mind behind all of creation that we see. And we also pointed to the moral law that's written on every human heart. And so that was last week, and I hope that, that was a blessing to you. Now, this week, we're going to tackle a really big objection that really is connected to many others. And so we're going to wrap up several uh, in this particular week's study. Now, this will be quite an undertaking, so bear with me, and I hope that I'll be able to do this discussion uh, justice as we navigate through some of these questions and doubts. Now, the overarching objection that we're going to uh, use as our jumping off point for this week is the question, if God is so good, why is there so much evil in the world today? Now, you've probably heard this question as well as many others, and maybe you've wrestled with this, and that's good. Hopefully, we'll bring some clarity to it today. Now, this objection is perhaps one of the most common objections of them all, and so it's important that we don't rush past this uh, too quickly, but I do want to keep this in a manageable time uh, frame for us. So those struggling with this particular objection will often say, if God is all-powerful and he's all-loving, then why would he allow uh, children to be abused? Why would he allow disease and war and starvation? Either God isn't powerful enough to stop all this evil and pain, or he doesn't care enough to stop it. Now, one of the reasons this objection is so common and so effective is because it's very, very emotional. After all, who isn't bothered by all the horrible things that we see going on in the world all around us? And who doesn't wonder why God doesn't stop many of these horrible things from happening? Now, before I attempt to suggest a response to this particular objection, let me first say that um, for those who have either experienced true evil and horrific pain or you've wrestled with this particular question for whatever reason, there is unlikely to be any answer that will make your pain or your struggle with this particular question go away. There is no answer that will justify the pain that you feel or that you've experienced or make you hurt any less uh, because of what you've gone through or what you see on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, I know that I haven't replied to the objection just yet, but I hope that you'll be open to the fact that the pain in your life and the pain in the world around us, it breaks God's heart just as much, and I would argue more, than it hurts and it breaks our heart as well. And so I, I know we haven't I haven't presented the evidence or I haven't presented the argument yet, but I hope that you'll just trust me enough to understand that God does not uh, enjoy seeing the pain that his children go through. Now, with that said, let's consider whether God has the ability to stop all evil and pain that we see in the world. Since he's good, um, it would be natural to assume that he, I'm sorry, since he's God, it would be natural for us to assume that uh, he can after, uh, after all, nothing it seems to be impossible with God. So the fact that he is God would seem to imply uh, that he is all-powerful, that there's nothing outside of his ability. Now, before we 
assume that God can't stop all evil simply because he doesn't stop evil, we should first consider whether there aren't other reasons why a God who is all-powerful and able to stop evil, why he wouldn't stop the evil that he sees all around, uh, all around the world, even though he could. Now, for instance, some might suggest uh, that God can stop evil, but that he doesn't care enough to do so. Now, this goes back to the original question about perhaps God is all-powerful, but he's not all-loving. Now, the problem with this is that in my understanding of what, what constitutes God, what makes God God, uh, if he were all-powerful and able to stop evil, but he didn't care enough to stop evil, I believe that would cause him to cease to be God himself. If God truly sees all the horrible things done in the world and is not deeply bothered by it, then he's not holy and morally pure. God is a, a being who is perfect in all ways. There is nothing that he is lacking. That means that God is not lacking something and therefore um, deficient in some way. If he were, he would no longer be God. Now, we need to consider if God is not bothered by the evil in the world, but most people are, then that would mean that we are more morally pure than God is and have a higher ethical standard than God, which I don't think any of us are going to be willing to claim. After all, if we saw an adult who had the ability to stop a kid about to run in front of a car, but didn't care enough to do anything to stop that child, most of us would see that adult being, um, at least bearing some guilt uh, in the death of that child. In the same way, if God can stop evil, but chooses not to because he just doesn't care, then he is guilty in some way uh, for the evil that occurs. But um, that's not our only option for explanations of why God would be able to stop uh, suffering and evil and yet still allow it to continue. For instance, there are um, times when a parent will allow their child to experience pain and suffering even though they could stop or prevent it. So it is possible. There's at least the option that God can stop uh, evil and pain and suffering, that he cares about the evil, pain, and suffering in the world, but still for for one reason or another chooses not to. So let's, let's kind of flesh this out a little bit more. In 2019, 2,400 teenagers ages uh, 13 through 19 were killed in car accidents. That's around seven teens dying every day. 258,000 teens were treated for significant injuries related to car accidents. Now, um, as parents, we still um, allow our teens to uh, get licenses, get cars, and drive. We encourage our children to uh, be able to drive. We help them buy their cars, all the while knowing that the thing that we're helping them do and the thing that we're enabling them to do could eventually hurt them or even kill them. We could, as parents, potentially avoid that and protect them, alleviate the potential for that pain and that death and suffering, uh, or at least decrease the odds of it by limiting the freedom in that particular area of their life. But most of us don't. Most of us educate them. Most of us, we train them and we pray like crazy that they'll be safe. But in the end, we know that freedom comes with some inherent risk and dangers. Now, in a similar way, God could prevent a lot of suffering and horrible things from happening in the world, but it would also involve him greatly limiting our freedom. Now, 
I'm sure that there are some who will argue that God should at least limit our freedom in some areas. Maybe you would say that God should not allow parents to abuse their children. Or you might say God uh, shouldn't allow dictators to commit mass genocide. Or that God shouldn't allow people to embezzle the elderly out of their life savings. And the list could go on and on and on. We could all come up with lists. And perhaps I would agree with a lot of the stuff on your particular list. But then we would also need to remember that we probably don't see things as clearly as we think we do. Uh, first of all, when you're hurting, you rarely see things clearly through the pain that you're currently going through. If you're hurting, all that matters is stopping the pain and stopping the suffering. Now, many of us, we live uh, as broken people in a broken world. And so uh, most of the time when we are looking at our situations, we are looking at it through the lens of pain and hurt and suffering. Uh, now, I remember when one of my boys, both my boys had severe life-threatening allergies to peanuts. And I remember one of them having a severe reaction. And I had to rush him to the emergency room. And he was probably about three years old at the time. And we got uh, to the emergency room and they had a room full of nurses who were holding him down while he was screaming and fighting against them. And they were giving him uh, epinephrine shot after epinephrine shot, trying to slow down his reaction because his throat was closing up. And the whole time, he had no clue whatsoever what they were doing. He was just scared out of his mind. He was uh, in pain, and he was crying. And worst of all, he was looking at me. I was in the room with him, and he was looking at me, wondering uh, why I was allowing this to happen. And he was begging me to make it stop. And it was excruciating. It, it, it broke my heart to see him so scared and see him in such pain and, and to not do anything about it. Now, could I have stopped it? Yeah, I could have probably stopped it. Would that have been the best thing for him? No, that absolutely would not have been the best thing for him. I did not enjoy watching him suffer, but I knew that that momentary pain and that momentary fear, as bad as it was, was ultimately what he needed to go through to be better on the other side of it. Now, I want to be very clear right here so as not to be misunderstood. I don't want to communicate by that story that God allows um, a small child to get cancer because ultimately the cancer is a good thing. The cancer is not, I repeat, not a good thing. It breaks God's heart. He does not glorify or, or enjoy watching uh, small children or anyone for that matter get cancer. And I don't want to communicate that God wants a husband to abandon his family and chase after a mistress because that broken family is ultimately a good thing that God wants. God does not want broken families. A lot of the pain, a lot of the suffering, a lot of the hurt that we see in the world is not a good thing. It's not what God wants, but God can use broken things to accomplish a good purpose. Uh, scripture tells us, for all things work to the good of, of those who are called according to his purpose, who love him and are called according to his purpose, that God uses even the brokenness that he does not want to come into our life. He can still use that for his good purpose. Now, many, if not most of the horrible things that happen in life break God's heart just like it breaks our heart. And those specific situations are not the things that God sees as good. But the free will that allows for bad things to happen is a very good thing. The free will that allows evil to exist is the very same free will that allows true love and generosity to exist as well. God hates the pain and evil that's in the world. That is never anything that God wanted to enter into his world, but he did allow free will that led to the potential of evil entering into the world. 
It's that free will is necessary in order to allow people to freely choose whether to be in a relationship with him or not. Now, I know that for us who are in the midst of the pain, it may seem like God made a bad choice. But I would argue that we are probably not looking at it from the best vantage point. We are in the struggle. We're in the pain. We're in the hurt. And we can't see it as clearly as God can. Our Heavenly Father knows better, He sees better, and He thinks that our free will is worth our current uh, struggle and pain and hurt and evil that we go through. Now, closely tied to this question is the, uh, um, is the ultimate level of suffering, and that is the question of hell. The question kind of is often phrased, how can a loving God ever send people to hell? Or as I've heard it sometimes, how can a loving God send someone to hell for all eternity just because they refuse to be in a relationship with him? Isn't that a form of coercion um, uh, to, say, either be in a relationship with me or suffer for all of eternity? Now, honestly, uh, this question kind of flows from the previous question. Because God so values free will, he's not going to override anyone's free will and force them to do anything they don't want to do. The Christian faith and salvation is not really about our eternal address or the location that will end up uh, forever and ever and ever. It's about relationship. It's not about going to heaven. It's about being in a relationship with God. Those who end up in heaven aren't choosing heaven as their home. They're choosing uh, to be in a relationship with God who lives in heaven. Now, those who don't want to be in a relationship with God will never be forced to be in that relationship. God will honor their choice even though he's done all that he can to make a way out for them and it breaks his heart for them to reject him. God does not send people to hell. They freely choose uh, to go there over uh, the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, closely related uh, to that question is, is, what about those who have never heard the gospel or heard about Jesus? Now, I know that I've touched on this question in the past, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it uh, right here, other than to say that there are numerous examples in Scripture of God bringing either angels or uh, dreams or godly men and women uh, to those who are truly seeking to know him more. So it's my understanding that with each opportunity that God gives someone to take a step closer to him, if that person responds positively, then God will provide more revelation and more opportunity for him, uh, for that person to know him. And so in the end, there will not be a single person who will be able to say when they stand before God, well, I would have chosen uh, God and to be in a relationship with him if only I had the opportunity. Everyone will have an opportunity to, re to respond to the re revelation that God has given them. And if they respond positively, they'll be given more additional revelation uh, all the way until they choose to accept Christ. Now, the last thing that I want to cover before we close out our discussion for this week is the objection that many articulate. And that is um, the question or, or the statement that all that matters is that I'm a good person. Now, you've probably heard this time and time again, as long as I do more good things, uh, above and beyond all the bad things that I've done, then that's all that matters, and that will get me into heaven. Now, again, this objection mistakes the whole point of Christianity. It's not about how good of a person you are. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. All other religions in the world emphasize some form of do this and don't do that. If you do enough of this and avoid enough of that, then you'll be able to go to heaven. Christianity instead is all, is all about who you know, not about what you do. It's all about what God has done 
for you. Now, I think the best way to understand this is to consider how you decide who gets to live with you. Now, I know a lot of generous people, but I've never met a single person who says that any random person, as long as they're good enough, can come and live with them for a, an indefinite period of time. Now, the only people that I let come into my house and live with us um, are people that I know and people that I love. I let uh, neighbors and friends come and visit, but as far as coming and live with me, that's a very intimate relationship. And we need to have a close, abiding relationship. If you're going to be the kind of person that I'm going to say, yeah, come on in, live with us, stay as long as you want. So in the same way, God invites all of us to be in that kind of relationship with him. He wants to get to know you, and he wants you to get to know him, and he wants an intimate relationship with each and every one of us, but he's not going to force that relationship on us. So if you don't want that kind of relationship with God, then that's fine. God will honor that, and you don't have to go and live with him forever and ever. So that's kind of the, the, the big gist of our, our objection for today about evil, suffering God, a loving God, a powerful God. Um, how, why and how does he allow evil to exist? It all really revolves around God valuing free will. He wants you to be able to choose. Sometimes we use that gift of free will in horrible, horrible ways. But it's such a precious gift and it accomplishes something so beautiful that God deems it worthy. And even though we don't, may not understand it sometimes, uh, we need to trust our Heavenly Father that he knows what he's doing. Now, I hope that that's given you plenty to think about. I hope uh, you will wrestle with that, pray through that, thank you that throughout the week. And that um, God will bless you as you continue through this series. I hope you'll join us back next week as we continue to explore some of the big objections of our faith. Until then, take care and God bless.